Yo, what's up? Dr. Swole here, MD bodybuilder, back with another episode on Swole Radio. Today, I'm joined by Brett Contreras, also known as the Glute Guy, who has a master's and PhD. He runs the Glute Lab and is well known for inventing the hip thrust. Thanks for being on the show, Brett. Thank you for having me. I should clarify the People get so mad. They're like, hip thrusts have been around forever. The barbell hip thrust. No one ever did barbell before me. It's crazy. You have all these people going, in Scandinavia, we've been doing that for decades. In Brazil, we've been doing that for decades. And there's not a single picture or video or evidence that exists. So I'm always like, oh my God, really? Because I don't believe it. Because back in 2006, when I invented it, I looked. There's, there wasn't a single picture on the internet. You can find pictures from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. But hip thrusts were being done the whole time. But they were the only lift that there's not a single picture and video. And the people go, yes. And I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's just this jealousy. It's really bizarre. So, yeah. Anyways, I that's not the sure. barbell hip thrust. People get mad. At, like <laughs> I brought up the motion, the, the, you know, the glute bridge motion, which has been around forever especially in like yoga and things like that. But yeah, I invented the barbell hip thrust 15 years ago. And that's what I'm most popular for, but also lots of different glute methods. I, I remember when I came out saying I'm the glute guy, <laughs> a lot of my colleagues were like, you can't specialize in a muscle. And now that now 15 years later, there's, uh, there's all these um, competitors, you know, all these people who are also glute experts and it's kind of cool because I'm like, I started this whole niche when everyone thought it was a joke. And it's actually uh, a very legit, you know, there's a huge science to the glutes and there's a, a it's a, you know, very um, lucrative market. If you're a glute expert, you're a very sought after trainer in your area. And yeah. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, I'm really glad to have you on. And today we're going to be putting out a really comprehensive piece of content, I think, in terms of leveling up people's glute training. So as a quick outline, a few things I want to talk about today, uh, we'll touch on the anatomy because that's crucial in understanding how to train any muscle. We'll talk about the function of the glutes, and then we'll go on to some of the main categories of exercises that you like to use and your favorite examples of them. And then we'll go on to a few other more specific questions about glute training and common sort of controversial topics and uh wrap up with just a bit of the uh current science that's okay sounds like we gotta hurry you, you can't let me go off on these tangents <laughs> i need a zapper and you go okay okay back <laughs> on track yeah okay so yeah just touching touching on the anatomy quickly first of all um so obviously yeah the glutes there are three main muscles that we look at the glute max uh, gluteus maximus, gluteus medius, and gluteus minimus. And I was just hoping you could um, elaborate a bit on sort of the um, the training anatomy and uh, also whether we, we are able to specialize in certain parts of the glutes. So the glute max is um, twice as large as the glute medius and minimus combined. Um, but the... An interesting thing about the, you know, like the, if you look at the attachments of the glutes, um, a, a, the, the textbooks say 
like 70%, but I, I went to a cadaver lab and the anatomist who's published research, he says he thinks is more like 85% of the, the muscle fibers insert under the fascia. And so it's kind of weird. It's like, you know, you've got the insertion onto the femur, but you've got a lot of the insertions onto the fascia, which hmm. makes it very unique hmm. in that regard. It's the, the largest, the glute max is the largest muscle in the body, but it does a lot of things. The main, um, the main function of the glute max would be hip extension, but Posterior pelvic tilt is kind of the same thing as hip extension. It's like hip hyperextension, except I always think of like a back extension versus a reverse hyper. Mm. In a back extension, your legs are fixed and your torso is moving. In a reverse hyper, your torso is fixed and your legs are moving. Mm -hmm. With hip extension, your trunk, picture upright trunk and your legs are moving. With posterior pelvic tilt, picture your legs fixed and then your pelvis rotating upon the femur. So hip extension. And then once you pass, it's funny because the pain scientists lately have been bringing up a good point. There's flexion and there's extension. There's not hyperflexion. You either have flexion or you have extension, but they, in anatomy, you, you, you clarify if you go past neutral position, then it's hyperextension. So this mm -hmm. would be flexion, this is extension, and this is hyperextension. Mm -hmm. So with the, with, the, with the hips, if you move the femur past anatomical position, like past standing, then that's hyperextension. And the studies show you have about, you know, depending if your knee is bent or straight, you know, 10 to 20 degrees of hip hyperextension mobility. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you post your pelvic tilt, you can think of it the same thing, the, the pelvis, rotates posteriorly until you have no more range of motion left you reach end range and that's what happens when you squeeze your glutes real hard you'll find that you post your pelvic tilt until you kind of reach end range but uh so hip hyperextension and posterior pelvic tilt are the same thing but hip extension the main role of the gluteus maximus but also it carries out hip external rotation and you know rotating the hip laterally and then finally, it, 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 it's involved in hip abduction as well, along with the glute medius. And then if you bend over a lot, then you have more glute max than the glute medius uh, in terms of like what's carrying out transverse plane or horizontal plane hip abduction. So can you target different segments? Yes, you can. And this mm. is true of all three of the glute muscles. And you, all, you, you can't really tell by looking at the muscle. You have to study like EMG and, and the research involving, you know, the, the way the nervous system operates. Um, so hmm. with the glute max, there's kind of two main subdivisions, the lower and the upper, the upper seems more involved in abduction and, uh, and, and even in it, there's some evidence that it has a little bit more type one fibers. It's might be inv more involved with like stabilizing the pelvis and like, Posture with its posture pelvic tilt, um, whereas the lower fibers are more involved in hip extension. All the fibers are involved in hip extension, but and all the fibers are involved in hip external rotation. But it's more upper subdivision with with uh, abduction. Now mm -hmm. the medius, there's three 
there's the anterior, middle, and posterior subdivisions. And, and, and you can't just do one exercise for these, you know, each of these muscles thinking you're going to maximize development. They need different exercises. You know, there's mm. some research with glute media showing, you know, this exercise worked the anterior subdivision more. This exercise worked the posterior subdivision more. And same with the glute minimus. Some research indicates two subdivisions, some three. But uh, that makes sense if you look at the muscle. It kind of contours to the pelvis. Um, and so, yeah, you have these different subdivisions that are involved in a lot of different, um, activities with, and, and it's kind of funny. You think when you swing a baseball bat, you're kind of loaded up on this rear leg. And then you, 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 you do all three actions at the same time. When you mm -hmm. swing a bat, you're in a little bit of flexion. You're in a little bit of internal rotation, you know? And you might be like neutralish, and then when you end the swing, you will extend the hip, rotate externally, rotate, and shift this way, ab uh, abducting all at the same time. Hmm. So the glute is really important in sports. When you you know you juke and cut side to side and things like that, sprinting, jumping, they're so important in athletics. Um, they're obviously important in lifting. You know like. Two of the most popular squats and deadlifts heavily involve the gluteus maximus. So, and then, you know, just activities of daily living, they're important. So that's why there's a lot of the glutes. Me being the glute guy, I would, I would never feel comfortable being like the bicep guy, but the glute guy, it's kind of cool because I have, you know, there's, a, there's like, um, there's, applications for sports there's applications for physical therapy there's ap applications for bodybuilding and aesthetics and it keeps me busy yeah absolutely it's a it's a very complex muscle and uh i thought that was a really great uh overview of the anatomy and the function um moving on to applying the function into our sort of bodybuilding applications what are the main types of exercises in terms of categories that you would include in a glute training program? So I kind of each workout, if you're trying to thoroughly work, the glutes should have four movements. Okay. And these would theoretically maximize the development. We talked about the different subdivisions. Mm -hmm. If you perform four exercise, these one exercise from each of these four categories, then you would theoretically hit all the subdivisions for the glutes. Okay, the first would be a thrust or bridge, something where you're pumping the weights, right? Like mm -hmm. hip, a barbell hip thrust or barbell glute bridge, or it could be a single leg hip thrust. It could be any bridge or thrust motion, technically a frog pump if you like frog pumps, but where you're just, it works end range hip extension. That's the zone where you get maximum activation that's the zone where you get the max active tension on the glutes the glutes are unique in that way and uh so yeah that's the first category the second category is your squat and lunge pattern so this could be any type of bilateral squat uh you know back squat front squat box squat whatever and and it could also be any single leg squatting movements so lunge, step up, Bulgarian split squat, you know, pistol, all these different um, uh, single leg squatting motions. And then finally, you have the hinging pattern, which 
I think out of the four, well, I think it's the lesser of the three in terms of importance, mm. but the hinge pattern, like the deadlift is my favorite exercise, but squats, stre- squat pattern stretches the glutes more because mm-hmm. with the knee bent, you can go deeper into hip flexion and get a bigger stretch on the glutes. The, the thrust and bridge maximizes tension on the glutes. So the hinge, yes, if you did just hinging movements, you develop big glutes. If all you ever did was deadlifts and back extensions, you could get some very big glutes, probably maybe 80% of your total growth. Hmm. But as terms of maximize, like if you said, Brett, you can have 36 sets to do a week for the glutes. How would you divvy those up? I don't know if hinges are necessary, hmm. but we do them for variety because everyone's different and people love, people love deadlift variations. So these are your, your deadlifts, your, you know, stiff leg, conventional sumo, stiff leg RDLs, um, single leg RDLs. And then also you can think of hinging from different angles, a 45 degree hyper, a horizontal back extension, a good morning. Those are all hinges. It's hip extension with pretty straight legs. So that's your third category. And then your fourth category is hip abduction. Um, and also you could throw hip external rotation there. There's not a lot of good hip external rotation movements, but mm-hmm. this is where you're going to work the upper glutes a little more. And there's two different types of hip abduction movements. There's frontal plane and there's transverse plane. <clears throat> frontal plane is where you're straight up standing kind of like an anatomical position straightened out. So these are your standing cable and band exercise, your sideline exercises uh, where your body's straightened out. And then you have where you're bent over flexed like your seated hip abduction movements. Um, so they fall into one, one of those two categories. I like to alternate from one workout to the next, but it, but I think the of the two, the standing is a little more important than the seated because it does work the glute medius and upper glute max a little bit more whereas when you bend over it works the lower but it does it's like the deadlift it doesn't maximize activation of the lower so make sure you throw in your frontal plane hip abduction movements and then theoretically by mixing up the abduction movements and the different kickback movements like you can do kickbacks straight back or at an angle a little bit um, or, or straight out to the side. Um, and then just all your different single leg exercise and stuff. Theoretically, you can maximize the development of, of all the different subdivisions of not only just the glute max, but also the glute medius and minimus. But um, it makes for a nice, simple system. Just do four exercises per day. Pick from this group, pick from this group, pick from this group, pick from this group, voila. Yeah, no, I really like that kind of approach where you recognize the the different applications of each of these types of movements where the hip thrust gives you that maximal tension at the at the top at the squeeze but you don't get the same kind of stretch that you would with a squat or a lunge and just recognizing that you want to sort of have a variety from these different categories um this is because and kind of as a fun uh exercise in terms of just personal opinion, what are your favorite movements? Like if you had to pick one from each category. So for my training, um, I like this. I, I feel frog pumps more than any other 
glute exercise it's so bad so that like i'll do three sets of smith machine frog pumps and it's hilarious it's like i can't even walk properly afterwards because my glutes are so pumped with blood I, I i walk twisting like like a frankenstein or something or like a robot it's kind of funny people are like what is wrong with you and i'm like i just did three. or now now my squad's like did you do frog pumps and they know but not everyone likes frog pumps. I think my hips are naturally turned out a little more. My feet mm. turn out, you know, my more externally rotated. It just fits. It suits my hips so well. But I'd say one in three people do not like hip thrusts. If you, especially if your feet are turned in a little more. Um, so, and, and for me, I don't, I, I, I did barbell hip thrusts for years and I loved them. They were my favorite. And then now I like Smith machine hip thrust and the Nautilus glute drive even more. But my clients, most of them, most of the women don't like the Nautilus glute drive and they don't like the Smith machine as well. And with the Smith machine, I like the angled ones, not the vertical ones. Hmm. Um, but they like barbell the most. So in four clients, yeah, yeah. barbell hip thrust, but we do so many different hip thrust variations. That could be a whole podcast where I could go over the 20 different hip thrust variations we do. Um, but uh, uh, barbell hip thrust for the masses. And then I would throw in like a, a lunging movement, like a dumbbell walking lunge mm -hmm. or uh, God, barbell walking lunges were my favorite back in the day. Parking lot lunges. We do OG. Yeah. OG like Ronnie Coleman stuff. Yeah. We'd go to the back. <laughs> I'd have these gyms and I'd have all my par training partners out there and we'd be doing walking lunges up and down uh, the parking lot, but those are brutal. Those require a lot of space though. So for that reason, I do a lot of dumbbell reverse lunges, but I like Smith machine reverse lunges or even deficit Smith machine reverse lunges for my clients. And then I like back extensions and I like all types of the 45 degree hypers. I, we do them feet straight. We, I say neutral, neutral, neutral feet, neutral posture that works more the entire backside, but then you can turn your feet out into hip external rotation and then round the upper back. So you're not even erecting the spine. You keep it flexed. So it's just hip extension. You feel that more in the glutes. We do, we do body weight. We do dumbbell, we do band and we do a lot of those and those get really high EMG activity in the glutes. Um, so, and then it would be uh, just straight up band Band, band ab, standing abductions hmm. um, or cable, cable or band standing hip abductions. So those would be my top four. Um, it's funny you say no squats and deadlifts. I love squats and deads. They're my, they're my favorite exercises. But uh, I do think that while they're very important, I actually, if I was trying to maximize someone's glute size in a short period of time, I wouldn't focus on those two uh, they're they're like obviously they're in my strong lifting plan I, my girls are so strong at school i have three different girls that are around a four, 405 pound deadlifters four plates per side hmm, nice. and one of them weighs 131 you know like these girls are so strong at squats and deads i know how to get the, i think i have the strongest all-natural female squat in the entire world i would put my girls up against anywhere in the world any gym in the world i think i we have the strongest and there's very strong squats and deads. The thing is you got to specialize on those and you start to get focused, so focused on your strength on those that it actually takes, 
you know, so focused on squats that you might ignore knee pain or you might ignore, ignore that you're, you might get, let your form start sliding, your hips start shooting up or you start rounding your back during deadlifts, but you're so focused on getting to that next strength level that you're hitting the, the two plates per side or something, you know, hitting the 225 squat or 315 deadlift or something. So then you start letting your form slide or it takes such a focus that now you don't have any energy for your hip thrust or something. Um, just the lifts that people care about the most are the lifts that become the most dangerous. You know, no one hurts themselves with seated rows because no one cares, you know, <laughs> what do you seated row? So for that reason, I would, I wouldn't, I love squats and deads, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't be in my top five necessarily just because, um, for, at least in the short term, because yeah, you could have them doing different types of lunging, different types of hip thrusts, back extensions and abductions. People don't hurt themselves from that combination of four movements. You, you don't have pain, pain inhibits muscle activation. So you want them feeling good. And those four, you could do a lot of <laughs> glute development in, a, in, in three months, people can really see some improvements. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's interesting how sometimes the your favorite exercises are also the ones you can't do because of kind of that psychological component of yes, I know I will love this so much that I'll destroy myself. <laughs> um, so yeah, you also touched on a bit already about how the hip hinges may be slightly lower in priority. Just try to pin you down. Um, which would you prioritize more in terms of the hip thrust versus squat type movement? Like if you had to choose one, let's say. And a kind of theoretical um, question. I would choose hip thrust because I need to post this because it's funny. I was a few years ago. I was my 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 uh he was my old intern, Andrew Vagotsky. He's the smartest guy I know. And I was it was so funny. I think it was like a Saturday night, and here I am on the phone with Andrew. I mean, I'm old, I'm 45 now, but I don't go out anymore. But this is, yeah, this was my Saturday night. We stayed on the phone using OpenSim and, and uh, a biomechanical software to show the, um, the force length curve of the gluteus maximus um, because people just, they think every muscle is the same. It's not. Uh, the, the length tension relationship in a muscle depends on its resting sarcomere length, its moment arm, so every muscle is unique, but you get the most active tension right around lockout for the gluteus maximus. It's, it's, and so then, then with most muscles, you can get more passive tension through the stretch, but I don't think the glute max ever gets stretched. Like do a, do a stiff leg deadlift. You'll fear it and touch the hamstrings. They're rock hard. Um, it feels like if you, you could like snap them, same with like pecs with like, flies you can get down where you're like god it's stretching them so hard but the glute max is one of those muscles like the deltoid you never kind of feel like you're getting a maximum stretch on it you know and and mm. and while i don't like this argument because i always say like if stretching were that important then yogis would have the best glutes <laughs> you know and they don't they even have like yoga butt like that's a term <laughs> like, it's like they don't have big glutes but there is a lot of evidence showing that you can, uh, that long length training is more, is more beneficial for hypertrophy than short length training. So if, if you go by that research, you would think squats would be better for the glutes than hip thrusts. But 
Then you look at the act, the length, the force length curve of the gluteus maximus. So like, you know, you get maximum tension at end range, unlike other muscles. So I think the glutes are unique. Um, that's, I told you, I have this ongoing list of study topics I want to carry out. That's yeah. one of them. It's the first one, isometric training or short range of motion training at long versus short glute max lengths. What would get you more glute growth? I would pick the hip thrust over the squat any day of the week. Um, and it's funny, there, there isn't a training study on this. There was one that got published and everyone shared it. And I looked at it because I'm an actual trainer. Like I spend my days in the gym. I looked at it and quickly knew it was fake. I'm like, this is a fake study. This isn't real. This never even took place. This is a fake hmm. study. And sure enough, months later, it came out that the study was fake. That couldn't have it happened statistically. And all those people who posted that the squat is better than the hip thrust, they're like, I knew it all along. There are just all these jealous people that they never corrected. They never made posts saying, I stand corrected. Uh, this turns out this study was fake. So that study can't be used to, um, to like say hip squats are superior to hip thrust. We do need a training study. And I wish I could carry that out, but like we were talking about earlier, you, I would want MRI research, first of all, and that's really hard to do. But also coming up with a study would be hard because peer reviewers want you to uh, equate volume. But think about this. As a trainer, if I was trying to maximize someone's glute size and I had them doing either squats or hip thrusts, well, I would probably say we can squat three times a week Monday, Wednesday, Friday, that's about it, right? Mm -hmm. But with hip thrusts, I would probably have them hip thrust five days a week. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd have two, th maybe three days, three days with the barbell, one day single leg, one day with bands, mm -hmm. uh, different rep ranges, one day would be pauses. I'd get really creative. Um, and so I think you could see better results. You could squeeze in more volume. They don't, when you train at shorter muscle lengths, you don't experience as much muscle damage and as much systemic stress either in, in my, in my, uh, uh, in my opinion. So you don't feel as beat up. And it's funny because there, there's some research showing that like squats and deads don't actually beat up the CNS more than other exercises. Like they don't, we always say this trash is your CNS. Mm -hmm. That research seems to be exaggerated, but something's going on. Cause I've never, done like you know isolation movements and then woken up the next day feeling like i got hit by a bus mm -hmm. when you wake up feeling like you got hit by a bus it's always like oh yeah i did deadlifts or i did five sets of squats or something and i i said i set some crazy pr on squats and i'm i'm so beat up the next day that might not be from like cns damage or something it might be from just muscle damage but anecdotally, yeah, the, the, the exercises that work you in a stretch, like squats and deadlifts, those create the most muscle damage. And so you can do hip thrusts more frequently. You can do more volume on hip thrusts than you can on squats. And so it, from, a, from setting up a training study in the research, you would want to equate volume. So it's kind of like unfair. You're already, you're already shortchanging the hip. Well, if you do a hip thrust style protocol and then you try to match squats with that, then they they do too much squats. And you then people would say, well, 
I'm sorry. Is it so annoying? I keep getting texts over and over and over. Of course, when I do a podcast, um, <laughs> and I just told these people I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> so, um, I moving to Las Vegas. All my clients are now. I'm training them from a distance, so they send me all their videos. To hey, how's my form? What do you think? Should I go up? Um, so anyway, um, if you did squats and hip thrusts five times a week, then the squat proponents would be like, well, yeah, because you squat, you they you can't squat five times a week. They were overtrained. But if you did just three times a week for each, then you know the hip thrust proponents would be like, well, yeah. If you you only did that's all you did for glutes was hip thrust and all you did was three you know four sets three times a week all you could have you you did twelve sets of hip thrust that's all you did for glutes throughout the week you could have done twenty to thirty sets for hip thrust and still recovered fine so it almost you need a series of studies or one really comprehensive study where you do like low volume like like three days of hip thrust, three days of squats, five days of squats, five days of hip thrust. And then what would be cool is to have a combined group, squats and hip thrusts, mm -hmm. volume combined and volume matched, like say three sets of squats or like say four sets of squats versus four sets of hip thrust versus four sets of squats and four sets of hip thrust or versus two sets of squats and two sets of hip thrusts where like you match the volume and then you add on top of that, just to start letting us see these volume limits. What are ideal? Do you get more, do you get more growth when you do more and more sets or is it come to a point where it's diminishing returns? Um, there was a, so a good body of research showing that doing too much volume did lead to diminishing returns and it was from that same group that fabricated their research so that mm -hmm. so a lot of that research is thrown out and now it looks like with the remaining research that you do get kind of more results with more volume but as a trainer i'm more of a low volume guy because i'm always pushing my clients to set prs i'm always pushing their strength i think low volume works out better when you you're not always so focused on PRs. You're focused more on quality and the mind muscle connection, but that's uh, that's for another study as well. <laughs> yeah. But I would choose long story short, I would choose the hip thrust. And I, I base this on the active, the, the length tension relations, the force length curve of the gluteus maximus and combined with my results as a trainer. When I started teaching people the hip thrust, when I started, when I first thought up the hip thrust in 2006, my group, my client's glutes grew faster, much faster. They were already doing squats. Now they're doing hip thrusts. It accelerated their glute growth. And I think most trainers who you would, who have experience with squats and hip thrusts and who prioritize hip thrusts, just like they do squats, you'd see the powerlifters who hate hip thrusts. They hate every exercise except squats and deadlifts. You know, they'd be like, nah, just squat. Hip thrusts are stupid, but you go, okay, what? What do you hip thrust? They're like, I don't hip thrust. What do your clients hip thrust? They don't hip thrust. So you don't even have the right to form an opinion on this. You need ample experience with both lifts in order to form an opinion. So then you go to the trainers who do have ample experience. I think most of, I, I, bet, I would bet 90% would say, yeah, hip thrust. Hip thrust work better. They, and also there's no, there's, you know, God, 
my squat form is finally decent after 20 years of doing them, you know, 25 years. I, you know, I'm tall. It's hard from six foot four. It's hard for me to, I've never felt squats. It's always been my quad strength limiting me. So I want a good morning, the lift up. I want to shoot my hips up hip thrust. Everyone can do well. It's not, it's not limited by your anatomy. There's no, you know, if you have short arms or if you have long legs or long femurs, you don't, you don't squat well, or you don't deadlift well. Well, with the hip thrust, everyone can do it. Well, if you just modify how they do it, everyone mm -hmm. can thrust easily. Yeah, no. And I think that's also real intelligent how you mentioned with the hip thrust, the fact that you aren't putting a huge stretch on the muscle means you don't get as much muscle damage, which means for an advanced lifter, they can fit in more productive volume. Uh, without sort of destroying themselves. Um, moving on a little bit, you mentioned, you know, hip thrusting five times a week. What's your optimal frequency that you would recommend for glute training? I say I made a whole YouTube video on this where I really like mentioned all the different factors and variables, but in general, the short answer is three days a week, you know, mm -hmm. three days a week, glute training. If you train hard three days a week is great. Can you see results training the glutes one day a week? Yes, but that's if you have good genetics. Two days a week, now we're talking. Everyone should do two days, in my opinion. Even the best genetics still train glutes two days a week. Mm -hmm. If you do train glutes two days a week, you, you throw in more volume. You might do, you know, 16 sets, 16 to 20 sets on those days, on both of those days. Mm. Now, if you train glutes three days a week, uh, I would say let's lower the volume a little bit, maybe 12 sets on each day. You know, with the, if you do the four movement patterns that I talked about, the big mm -hmm. four movement patterns for glutes, three sets of four different movements, three sets of each four movements on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, for example. That works great. Uh, some people can handle more volume than others due to genetics, but I think three days a week is great. Could you train the glutes six days a week if you wanted. I always say you have to take one day off. You can't just train 365 days of the year and, and be psychologically up for the task. You have to have at least one day a week off. Could you train glutes six days a week? Yeah, you could. What if you just did um, uh, three sets of a hip thrust variation and, and like either a single leg movement or, uh, or like a abduction movement? You did some band work for 20, say you did bands 20 minutes a day, which people bash bands. Bands are freaking awesome. Mm -hmm. I use them. They're amazing. But yeah, say you did three sets of a, a hip thrust or bridge movement, and then three sets of band, band kickbacks, band abduction to work the upper glutes. You, yeah, you could do, you know, say, say you did six to six to 10 sets, six days a week, but you really focus on the squeeze and you're not you're not killing yourself with PRs, then yeah, you could. So there, it's a very nuanced topic, but I think in general three, but two to six could work. Mm -hmm. But you gotta switch the way you train. Yeah, no, I agree. That uh, frequency is a, is a multifaceted kind of subject. And like, I, I agree in that. I usually recommend people train most muscle groups at least twice a week. But yeah. especially when you become more advanced and want to fit in more volume, having that extra day, like three days or sometimes more can be helpful. Um, that's kind of, by the way, where you want to specialize because like you can't train every muscle three days a week. It gets really hard, you know? Yeah. 
And, and that's why you pick the muscles that you want, that you care about the most, train the other muscles twice a week, and then the muscles you care about most three times a week. And for most of the people who come to me, obviously it's glutes, glutes and delts, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah, the bikini, bikini athletes out there and actually on a related note to frequency, this is a kind of a fun one where, um, I, I love talking about splits and, you know, my subscribers always ask about it. If you were to create a glute specialization split, uh, let's say for common training frequencies of like three, four, five, and six days a week training programs. And let's say we're talking about, for example, a bikini athlete who still wants kind of overall development, but they want to specialize on glutes. What would your, what would your favorite split be for say three days per week? Well, if they want glutes, but they also want their whole body, it would be yeah. three days full body. Mm -hmm. um, now, what if, if those three days full body, that's like my booty by Brett program is three days full body. Yeah. If they want a little bit more, they can throw in a couple of extra. I have two extra glute days that are like body weight and bands that, but the, it's very important that you do those days, right? Because those days you get a good pump, you get a good burn, but you're not going for progressive overload. You're not killing yourself because you don't, you can't be compromised for those three full body days. Those are your days to that you really want to PR in. And we do different types of three-day plans. Like some, some months I focus on the squat, some months I focus on the hip thrust. Some months it's just a well-rounded plan where they might squat on, on day one, Monday say, then they might hip thrust on day two, uh, on say Wednesday, and then they might deadlift on day three, but they're still doing all the different patterns each workout. Now, if they wanted five days a week, or six days now you can split more but like in terms of a body bodybuilding split yeah. like body part split one popular split that people really like is to do for women because if think about men we we always i grew up you know you did a a, a chest day a back day a, a shoulder day an arm day and then a leg day well i would never do that for bikini competitors you know they need to train glutes more often so you could have three different leg days a week. One day is like a quad and glute day. One day is a hamstring and glute day. One day is more of just a glute glute day, you know? Mm. And then you have two upper body days in there. So mm. we do a, a lower, upper, lower, upper, lower split a lot with like my personalized programming clients, for example. And that works well, but I still... So yeah, you have one day where it's like squats and glutes, where it's like, you know, these are your squat variations, your single leg, you might do two different single leg movements or like a leg press in there or something like you work your glutes a lot, but you also hammer the quads. And then the hamstring day is the hinging, you know, you might do deadlifts and then back extensions. And then maybe a, a couple of knee flexion movements like Nordic cam curls and seated, seated leg curls or something like that. Hmm. And then the glute day is where you would do more like hip thrusts and bridging, bridging or frog pump variations, kickbacks, you know, abductions. I don't think that works as well though, even though people really like it, I don't think it works as well as doing the full body days where you pick one from each four, uh, one movement from each four movement patterns, three days a week. Hmm. So that's a great question. And I've, I've devoted a lot of thought to it because some people really like their body part splits. And when they do, I don't try to get them to be when I start training a client, I'm not like, this is how I do it. You're sticking to my system. I'm like, how do you like to train? And then I'm like, oh, I like, I do body part splits. Then I go, okay, you mind if I 
you know, let, let me work with your split. And then I work with them. And then once they see results, then they become your little soldier. They'll do anything, but you got to win them over first. If you switch them too much, they don't have buy-in. They're like, yeah, this doesn't feel right. This is what it is, what I'm used to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that there's a lot of benefits to, you know, hitting the muscle more often and being able to split up and play around with uh, slotting the exercise in on different days. Um, yeah. So what kind of split would you do for like four days a week? So four days a week, I, if they need growth all over, cause like even a lot of my bikini competitors come to me and they're like, I just want to do glutes. And I'm like, you need upper body. <laughs> you might win a, you might win a local show, but you want to be competitive on the national level. You ever want to get your pro card? You got, you need upper body muscle too. So I'll do just do two lower and two upper. Um, and then what I do there is I go, you're doing, say you do Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Monday and Thursday are lower Tuesday and Friday are upper. And then I say, make sure you have a glute loop because Saturday you're going to do 20 minute band work. Just do 20 minutes on Saturday from your home, 20 minutes of band glute work. I don't even tell them what to do, you know, to alternate between like kickbacks and abductions and knee banded hip thrusts and things like that you get a good burn on that day, but then you take Sunday off, you take Wednesday and Sunday off and you're, you're refreshed. you you recover just fine from that. But yeah, two lower, two upper is good. If they wanted, if they had a really developed upper body, then maybe I would split it more, but that's not as that's, that's rare. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's sensible. I think sometimes you'll see, uh, yeah. Um, people who just will, will try and really specialize in glutes and forget about everything else. But, um, it really, it really helps to have that overall development. Um, it does. And, and another system is the push, pull, push, pull, push, pull. Those aren't as common, but what I like about the push pull is you are working glutes each session. So yeah. an mm -hmm. example would be, uh, like day one and day three would be pushes. So you do all your squats, your lunges, and even hip thrusts, I consider a push squats, lunges, hip thrusts. Then day two and four would be your pulls, which would be, you know, your hinging. And so it could be like deadlifts, back extensions. Um, and then obviously your upper body for the pushes, your upper body list would be presses like bench, military incline pushups, and then your pulls on the pulling days your upper body pulls would be chin-ups pull downs rows and so those balance those then you're working glutes four times a week but i like it in theory i've even done it myself but i don't know why i just feel like when you have the dedicated upper body days they really see better results with their upper bodies you know and um it's the lower upper lower upper four day split does work very well so mm. yeah no that's really good to know um and yeah definitely picked up a lot of tips on just kind of how to structure your training around a glute focus going on to some more um sort of specific questions uh one common question people will come up with is that they can't feel their glutes on a lot of movements what would you do for those people so the first thing I do is tell them like, like I can feel my glutes on everything now. I mean, I've been focusing on them for so long. When I first started out though, I remember 
when I first started, I can remember I was like 15 years old. I, I remember going to a gym and my friend's brother wrote us a plan and it was all a, a good mixture of compound and isolation movements, you know, single joint movements. I only liked the single joint. I hated every compound movement. So I can relate to that mindset because I remember being there 30 years ago. And I remember as a, as a kid being like, I don't, yeah, I hate bench press. What is this supposed to work? I kind of feel it everywhere. And squats, I remember folding over like an accordion, being like, oh, this doesn't feel right. But then I do leg extensions. I'd be like, whoa, the burn in my quads is insane. Mm. I do tricep extensions and curls, and I'd feel them in my arms. So I didn't want to do squats. I didn't want to do deadlifts. I didn't want to do dips. I didn't want to do chin-ups. I, I couldn't even do dips and chin-ups. So, and I didn't know how to progress towards them, so I just wouldn't do them. I wish I knew I could have done negatives, you know, chin up mm -hmm. negatives, dip negatives, band assisted. We didn't have bands back then when I, 30 years ago, there weren't bands in gyms. Mm -hmm. Those came later. Um, so, uh, yeah, I wish I knew then what I know now. I could have been a force to be reckoned with, especially with like high school football. But anyway, I would just avoid these lifts because I wanted to feel the muscle. And then as I wisened up and I started focusing on my compound strength on my squat, bench, deadlift, you know, chin up, military, hip thrust came later. But uh, yeah, I grew. I grew. And I, so I tell people, I don't feel military press. Like I'm never like grinding at a military press being like, oh, my delts are burning so bad. Like squats, when I do chain squats, I do feel my quads like throughout the whole movement, but not with regular squats. I'm never like, oh my God, I don't know if my quads can do one more rep. It's mm -hmm. I kind of feel them all over. Yeah. Um, with, with hip thrust, I might feel the glutes, you know, limiting, but even sometimes on hip thrust, I don't. My point with your compound movements is that you won't necessarily feel one muscle Bench press, I don't think it's like my pecs burning so bad. I feel them everywhere, and they, they should. You're working bench works, the pecs, the front delta, and the triceps. You know what I mean? Um, squats will work your quads, your glutes. You'll feel it. You, you I remember feeling it in, in the erectors when I first started because I was leaning over a lot, you know, and as I got better, I learned to stay more upright. But, yeah, you'll feel them everywhere. So I tell them, if you never felt your glutes, they will still grow. Let's say you, you just did squats and deadlifts and lunges and hip thrusts and back extensions and abductions, and you just used really good form and you use progressive overload. And a year from now, you're using the same really good form, but with, you know, 50 more pounds or 100 more pounds than you are now, your glutes will be bigger. But... Then I say, you won't feel your glutes on every movement. There are going to be some moves you feel more. Our goal is to get you a few movements where you do feel your glutes, you know? So these are where things, the, I like the, the glute mm. loops, the bands. Mm. Put bands around their knees and they feel their glutes working more during hip thrust. Some, I've seen some people lately saying bands don't work the glutes. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Like any... You can get any lifter to put the bands on, they fill their glutes. And then you get now some glute, some experts that are saying no. And it's like, it's this weird stage where a beginning lifter knows more than, than the experts. <laughs> yeah. Their experts are wrong on that. They work the glutes really well. The, the experts are going, no, that's the piriformis. And you think it's the, you think it's the glutes. No, it's not. It's the glutes. 
It's the glute max at the bottom of the hip thrust. It's the glute medius at the top of the hip thrust. But yeah, it's uh, they work the glutes better. And I think it gets them more in tune with this mind-muscle connection. But you don't just do bands every session. You do bands once a, well, out of uh, one every third session. You know what I mean? Say you hip thrust three times a week. Well, one of the days is, is one of the days is a band hip thrust. But the other days is free weight or whatever. Maybe it's Smith machine. Maybe it's single leg. But yeah. And you also, this is where abduction movements are valuable. People tend to feel their glutes working really well with abduction movements, mm -hmm. kickbacks. Um, maybe they feel them really well. Some people feel them really well during rounded back, back extensions. Some people don't. Some people feel their hammies during those. Some people fill their glutes with different glute bridge or frog pump variations. Other people not. This is why you, as a trainer, you want to have a large toolbox, you know, or a tool belt. You want you, any good carpenter, you wouldn't be like to a, a master chef or a master carpenter. Hey, how many tools do you need? And they're just like, just give me a hammer and a screwdriver. I'm good. <laughs> that, that, they would, they, they study their craft. They'd be like, I want this. I want this. They would have all these different tools. Most of the time you're using your hammer, your screwdriver, your, your, your staples, but throughout the year, that specialty tool comes in handy so many times. And that's the same thing as a personal trainer. All real personal, the guys who bash exercise on the internet are, they aren't real trainers. They sit behind a keyboard and they pretend that they train people. They don't really, because no, no real personal trainer actually works with people around the clock, whatever bash a movement. Cause they'd be like, oh yeah, leg extensions are amazing. I, I, I love leg extensions because they, this client here couldn't tolerate this. I let him do, you know, I had him do an eccentric folk, you know, two, two legs up, one leg down, you know, uh, leg extensions. And they, it, their, their knees started feeling better. They started tolerating quad exercises better. Then I moved them to box squats where they sat back with a good forward lean and a vertical tibia, vertical shins. And then now they can do all these movements, but if it weren't for those leg extensions or leg extensions are what people can do when they're injured, I can still have them do this or leg extensions worked, you know, I had a client got really lean. They needed more rectus femoris. Leg extensions work more rectus femoris than the, the compound quad exercises. So every, every exercise comes in handy. And so, yeah, you want, you want to have a big toolbox, but you're going to use some tools more than others, obviously. But I tell them, you're going to feel your glutes more on certain movements than others. You don't have to feel your glutes. You don't have to do this crazy pump or feel the burn every workout or on every movement. You want to have your progressive overload component that you do first in the workout. Then you want to have the mind-muscle connection, feeling the burn later in the workout where you don't focus on progressive overload. You're not caring about numbers. You're just trying to squeeze and really feel the muscle. But, you know, over time, you develop that system a little bit better. You won't. I remember when I first started, like, you know, working out, I would go in the mirror and I'd be like, flexing and i'm like i don't know how to flex my lats now i can flex my lats very easily it takes time bodybuilding takes time to learn how to feel all the muscles and you get better at it in time so some research indicates that uh you know they they, they had people do isometric glute training three times three times a day for 20 minutes so 60 minutes a day for seven for seven straight days and just in seven days they showed improved 
motor cortex activation and less inhibition in the brain just in seven days from that really intense focus. So we don't do an hour a day. Obviously, we, we, your glute training is only how many minutes are you actually doing glutes in your hour-long workout? It might only be 10 minutes of actual glute training, but carry that out over many months and you get better. Your brain gets better at activating these regions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, good, great points. And I like how you uh, emphasize the importance of progressive overload. And I think when this question of kind of activation and pump and burn starts coming in, you see a lot of people who will only exclu- exclusively do, you know, band or cable movements for the glutes when focusing on those big major movements, as we talked about your heavy hip thrust and squat type variations should be kind of a, a front and foremost in your program. So yeah, going on to our, um, couple more big peach training tips, um, in, in terms of the bands, one common uh, issue people will, will talk about is just, uh, in terms of arguments against bands is, um, like the sort of difficulty in attaining that progressive overload. Um, how do you like to progress band movements? I don't, it's, I don't, is the movements we try to progress are your, 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 the, the, the ones I've been talking about, your squat variations, your, your hip thrust variations, your deadlift variations, your single leg movements, and maybe the machine, seated hip abduction machine or standing cable hip abduction. But with bands, it's quality. But you might have, say I program constant tension knee banded hip thrusts three sets of 20. You do that on a Friday. You'll still go up in those throughout the month, but we do it for four weeks at a time and then you switch. We, you, you go up in it because you do it four weeks at a time. The goal isn't to always, um, but also there's some people that just like wearing the band when they hip thrust. I know people, very strong powerlifters that like wearing a rubber band that stretches a lot when they do squats. Mm-hmm. What am I going to tell them? when they're squatting 800 pounds, you're an idiot. You shouldn't do that. Everyone's different. Um, but I'm not like trying to, okay, you did, uh, uh, knee banded hip thrusts. We do those a lot. You're on a couch, (laughs) you're watching Netflix. You put your arms across the couch and you're doing hip thrusts and you're trying to push your knees out as hard as you can on the way down and on the way up. You'll, te- you'll notice that on the way down, you tend to knees cave in a little bit and you you work them more on the way up. No, try and keep them out on the way down and the way up. And you do three sets of 20 with you know 90 seconds rest in between sets and you'll be feeling the burn so good as you watch Netflix. I love it. I do it all the time. I'm not trying to do three sets of 22 the next time, then three sets of 25. <laughs> Then, 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 you know, you're not seeing my workout like 32, 32, 25, 17. I'm not trying to utilize progressive. I'm going for quality. Mm. And so it's that mix. That's why then the next day I'm just going three sets of 20. But if you say, Brett, you can only do three sets of 20 on this and I'll be at like 17 and I'll slow down because I got some juice in the tank. I'll slow it down and really squeeze and really push as hard as I can. And by 20, I'm feeling the burn. 
but that doesn't beat me up for the next day. I can still do, you know, say I'm deadlifting the next day. It doesn't interfere whatsoever. It doesn't beat me up. And that's why you use these. That's why these two, I say there's two roads to maximum hypertrophy. One is the progressive overload road. One is the mind muscle connection road and they complement each other. It's like the yin and the yang. It's not, they, they complement each other, but you got to know the goal. You got to know how to do it right. You can't, you, cause you can screw them up if you don't know what you're doing. So I don't try to progress band movements much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, yeah. Like, as you mentioned, um, with, with, with some of these, your goal is more so kind of the metabolic, um, sort of, uh, mechanism in terms of hypertrophy rather than muscle damage and muscle tension. So in those cases, like there are many different ways to overload or like progress a movement. And as you said, like slowing down the movement or like changing the sort of the, the techniques or the angles, um, or just adding reps to, you can, you, you can still really get a burn and get that stimulus without necessarily, you know, increasing weight. Just wrapping up here, I think we've covered a lot in this episode. Um, alluding to your uh, your little candy list of upcoming studies, what what are you most excited about in terms of upcoming glute research? You know, I I'm not excited about it because I don't think it'll ever happen unless I carry it out or fund it. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I, I'm I realize that you you wait you wait as a researcher. I'm like God. I hope this comes out. I've got all of these ideas and then I'm like, I, I think I need to uh, set up my own lab and hire, you know, a couple of research assistants. Cause I have the, I have the squad, I have the subjects and I, I it's just, I'm so busy. And also after my PhD, I, I stopped, I st I, my PhD made me hate writing because <laughs> I was trying to blog and write articles for T nation back in the day. And carry out my PhD. And I just like, now, now you see me podcasting more and you see me making YouTube videos more. And, you know, I was doing more seminars because I hate writing and I hate writing up scientists so I can write blogs. Well, my, my, my friend, Brad Schoenfeld, uh, Andrew Vygotsky, these guys are such good scientific writers and I'm, I'm a, I'm a good talker, but when it goes to writing scientifically, I suck at it. It'll take me a whole day to write a, a, a two paragraphs, and those guys could write a whole paper in two days. They're they're machines, and then responding to peer reviewers. Oh my god, the stress I get when I get twenty bullet points I have to address. Yeah, to go in and tackle <laughs> each one, and it's not just the writing of it; it's the being staying organized. Okay, you know, peer reviewer number one, this criticism good call. I agree with you. I made this change, you know, and then you have to show the change you made and then you have it in the manuscript with track changes. And it's like, it's, uh, it's people yeah. don't appreciate research. There's, it is so hard. And that's why you almost have to be a research professor because I'm going, I have this to do. And then I also wanted to make an Instagram post. And I also have these clients to train. Oh, and then what about my own workouts? It's really tough to do to be kind of like this hybrid, what what am I? People go, what are you, Brett? I don't know. I used to tell people I was a blogger. I'm a trainer. I'm a personal trainer, but I'm also an educator. But I'm also a researcher. But I'm also this. It's hard to wear a lot of hats in this day, and it's kind of like 
this uh, Instagram era where you kind of do it all. It's hard to educate people. It's hard to come out with a post every day or two. It's hard to juggle everything if you're trying to stay on top of things and then also create products and, and books and have seminars. It's, and then respond to DMs. You know, responding DMs to DMs are the worst. <laughs> it's always the people who ruin it for everyone. You answer them, they come back with three questions. Like, <laughs> yeah. Screw this. I'm 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 not gonna answer any of these. Everyone's screwed because these five people that are making your life hell. But yeah, I do want to carry out there's I've got a list of all these studies that I want to carry out, but um yeah, and I, I guess with your with your training ears, short, yeah. like the isometric training short versus long muscle lengths. I would predict short muscle lengths for glute max, but I don't know. There's a lot of studies showing long lengths, but I, I would, I don't think that's the case, but I don't, we need studies to prove my, I have theories. I have lots of theories and I'm like very strong opinions about them, but we need evidence to support those theories. Um, uh, right now I've been loving, you know, my, my assistant, he, uh, my video guy, Alex, he just walked out here. He was being all quiet. He was like a ninja, but, uh, he started hurts, starts hurting his back on squats and deadlifts. So I said, I'm giving you single leg, single leg only training for two months. Well, with all single leg movements for, I think he did 10, eight or 10 weeks, his squat and deadlift went up. So now I'm having him do variable resistance. He's doing bands and chains on everything. But what I love about the single leg and the bands and chains, he's not hurting himself. You know, the, he's doing deadlifts with, Barbell deadlifts with band resistance, where you stand on the bands, you know, we have a platform for that. But yeah, I just have him stand on the bands right now. And then he's doing chain squats. And we'll see what that does with the squats and deadlifts. But I would love to do a study on traditional versus bands and chains versus single leg on squat, deadlift and hip thrust strength. It would be a really eye-opening study to show, look, because there's lots of research on bands and chains versus traditional, but not one study looking at all three mm. to show coaches, like especially these power lifters that only know one thing. They only know barbell. And it's like, look, the goal is to have your clients injury-free, pain and injury-free. So you got to know when to, you know, if someone's saying my back's a little, my back doesn't feel good, my knee doesn't feel good. Okay, we're going to do this instead. And this way, you see greater progress over the long haul because you uh you know they're not getting injured they're not they're not this nagging pain that you don't have that when you do say the single leg movement or or with, use chains because it's easy at the bottom it's really hard at the top but they complement each other and i've been using this a lot more in my training in my coaching lately so that's another study idea i have uh three different EMG study ideas. We don't even, we haven't even looked at the difference. We teach hip thrust two ways, the scoop and the hinge technique. Uh, I, we haven't done EMG uh, uh, of that, you know, what does get you more glute and then do they work less glute, less quad, less hammy, um, different types of kickbacks from different directions in glute max and glute med, uh, uh, knee banded versus non-knee banded. Does the knee banded work more upper glute? And uh, when you don't have the band around the knees, do you, do you end up working the lower glutes a little bit better? Because maybe your fatigue sets off and you're limited by upper glute instead of lower glute. That's something that interests me. 
it'd be cool to see a purely, say you did 36 sets a week of just vertical, just squats and, and lunges, just vertical hip extension exercises versus 36 sets a week of just horizontal, just hip thrusts and back extensions and kickbacks versus all lateral. Would it be the case that the horizontal got the best glute development overall? The vertical got mostly lower glute development. The lateral got more upper glute development. And then you'd also, of course, want a combined group in there. So it's like you could see the evidence of, yes, these different directions do target different subdivisions, like I said. A lot of my, my knowledge is through mechanisms and through anecdotes, but it would be cool to have studies that show this. And then that squat versus hip thrust one that was fabricated, let's do that for real. Let's see. I would think hip thrust would, would win. But as I mentioned earlier, it's hard to design a good, a good protocol for that. And then finally, a free weight versus plate loaded uh, study, like where you do free weight squats, squats, deadlifts, and hip thrust. Now you got plate loaded. We have a lever squat machine at Glute Lab in San Diego that look that people love. There's the hammer strength deadlift machine plate loaded that people love. You know, now you got the Nautilus glute drive. You have these plate loaded machines coming out. What if you did barbell versus plate loaded? What I would like is so the strength coaches could get off their high horse about free weights because I bet you they'd see equal results. And then it's like, look, even athletes like these plate loaded machines. Quit pushing barbell on everyone. A good coach, like I said, any good trainer and coach loves free weight. They also love plate loaded. They also love single leg. They also love bands and chains. Why can't we love everything? Why do we have to be so biased? And, you know, I, 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 Mel Siff was my idol back in the day. He, a lot of the, the young bucks don't know who he was, but he wrote the book Super Training and he was just so ahead of his time. He died early, but he loved it all. Everything was just sports science to him. He studied physical therapy. He studied stretching. He studied bodybuilding. He studied, you know, he'd called it loadless contractions, like flexing. And he'd say, this is how it could be a benefit. It was never just this biased. He was curious about everything. I try to be like that as a practitioner. Yeah, no, that's good. Champion, championing equality in the gym, yeah. gym equipment on this podcast. It's great. So yeah, thanks so much, Fred. This has been really enlightening discussion. I think I've learned a lot and, uh, it's going to really help people with their programming. Where can people find you and what kind of uh, products do you have available for people out there? So I'm most active on Instagram and that's at Brett Contreras one. If you don't know that, you just look up the glute guy, type in glute guy and I come up. I used to be the only glute guy. Now there's a ton of glute guys out there, but uh, um, some much better than others. Like my friend Aiden glute guru, he's really good. He's in Sydney. Uh, but there, if you type in glute guy, come up and then you from that Instagram link is like a, my link tree that has all my different things. So if you wanted to train under my program, booty by Brett, that's where you subscribe. I have a lot of products with my BC strength line. That's where you find all those products like the hip thruster and the T bell and glute loops and glute benches and things like that. And then I have my book glute lab that I wrote. That, that link is on there and then all the other things I provide, but yeah, there's links to everything. So that's kind of the hub. Awesome. So yeah, I'll be putting a few links in the description so you can all go check that out, but till next time, thanks so much for coming on the show, Brett.
Hey, thanks for having me. This was great. I loved your questions. You make me look good. So I'm happy to come on whenever. And I really, really appreciate it because this makes makes me get you allow me to kind of show off my knowledge of what I do and don't know and what needs to be researched. And you you uh, you care about science. So you you develop a scientific following that appreciates this stuff. So I appreciate you just as much as you appreciate appreciate me. And uh, anytime you want me to come on, I'm happy to do so. And I will definitely share the link with my followers as well. That's all for now, guys. Thanks for listening. I am available on a very limited basis for one-on-one -on -one coaching. I'm not cheap, but if you are really serious about taking your physique to the next level, DM me the word coaching on Instagram. For more science-based bodybuilding content, look up Dr. Swole on YouTube, and we'll see you next time.